I invite you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, we'll begin in verse 12 here in a moment. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says that his followers will be his witnesses. And a witness is someone who gives testimony. And the idea is that everyone who names the name of Jesus is expected to be someone who gives testimony and witness to their relationship with Jesus. Now, you have made, if you've given your life to Christ, you have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. But just because it's a personal commitment does not mean it is intended to be a private commitment. In fact, we are called to go public with what we have done in private. And it's expected that you and I are to be witnesses to Jesus. And I have a feeling that everyone in here, including myself, we who have given our life to Christ, we would say there is no way that I would ever deny knowing Jesus. That there's no way. I'll go public with that. I'm not ashamed. I've been baptized. I let people know. I let everybody know that I am a Christian and I belong to Jesus. There's no way that I, I mean, I go to Sunday school. I go to church. Uh, I give. I serve. There's no way. Peter thought the same thing. If you go to John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking with his disciples at the Last Supper. And in verse 36 of John 13, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Jesus was going to the cross, he was going to die, and it was not Peter's time to do so. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter thought that there was no way that he could deny Christ. In fact, he was willing to go and die for him. And he, Peter, emphasizes himself here, and he's saying, my will, my intestinal fortitude, my ability, my strength, I would never deny you. And Jesus says, before the crow, the, uh, crow of the rooster, you're going to deny me three times. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If you live out in the country and you've got chickens and roosters around, how long does it take before the rooster crows again? Every day. He told him this on Thursday night as they were having supper, which meant before the next morning, Peter would deny Christ three times. Peter was astonished. He said, there's no way. In fact, I believe Peter still didn't believe it because he had a chance to deny Christ. And what did he do? He took out his sword and he cut off Malchus's ear. We saw that last time we were in John. So he was tough. But now we're going to see what happens to Peter. And I want us to see a recipe for denial because when you and I rely on our own strength to maintain our witness, we will deny him every time. Let's look at what this looks like. Are you there? We are in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. 
Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. So the company of soldiers and commander, that's referring uh, to that company of Roman soldiers that were sent alongside the Jewish temple police. The Jewish officials refers to the police that the Jews had around the temple complex. And it says that the company of Roman soldiers and commander, the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus. They bound him, they tied him up, and they led him to Pilate because Pilate was in charge. Not to Pilate. You would imagine that if the Roman military captured and arrested someone, that they would take that person to the Roman authority, but they don't. What we see here is it was the Jews that were arresting, prosecuting, persecuting Jesus. The Romans were just there to help. Because they take him to Annas. Look there in verse 13. First they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. And who was Caiaphas? He was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people than all the nation to die. Now, who is this Annas character? Well, uh, let's do a little bit of biblical background. Uh, The way that the Jews worshipped was temple sacrifice. They had a sacrificial system. They had sacrifices for different things. And those sacrifices were done in the temple in Jerusalem. They had a workforce that served in the temple. And in the Old Testament, God designated who the workforce was. It was to be people from one of the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Levi, known as Levites. Within the tribe of Levi, there was a family or a clan that was separated and they served as priests. The Levites in general, they would be doorkeepers, they would clean things, they would, they would do all kind of jobs, but the priests were the ones who actually performed the sacrifice. The priests were the ones that would do the things inside the temple. And there was a hierarchy of priests, and at the top of that hierarchy was the high priest. The high priest was the one on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, would take the sacrifice, the blood of the sacrifice, would go into the Holy of Holies, and would lay that on the mercy seat of God, and that was how the entire nation was forgiven of their sin. This high priest was at the top of their hierarchy, and he had 70-ish elders, priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, different religious leaders that made up a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the official court of Judaism in this day. And so the high priest was the one that would call the Sanhedrin together. The high priest was Caiaphas. In Judaism, a high priest, once he became high priest, was the high priest for the rest of his life. Annas was the high priest, and John refers to him as the high priest. Annas was the high priest until A.D. 16. In A.D. 16, the Roman governor who preceded Pilate got upset with Annas and deposed him and said, you're no longer the high priest, and gave it to one of his sons. In fact, five of his sons were high priests after him. By the time Jesus came along, the high priest was Caiaphas, Annas' son-in-law. 
So there, in effect, were two high priests because the Jews believed that Annas was the high priest until he died. He wasn't dead yet, so they looked to him for leadership. That is why Jesus, when he was arrested, was taken to Annas and not to Caiaphas because even though Caiaphas was the official high priest, Annas was the power behind the throne. Whew. Y'all got that? That was a lot of background there. Later in the book of John, you're going to see that he refers to the high priest's plural. And that's because he's referring referring to Annas and to Caiaphas. And so they go to Annas and to his house. But these soldiers and Jesus were not the only ones that made their way to the high priest's place. Notice in verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. What this means is there were two disciples that were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested who followed the group back to the high priest's house. Uh, Some say, well, we don't really know who this other disciple is. Well, it had to be someone who was in the garden. We know that only the 11 disciples That's 12 minus Judas Iscariot. Those 11 were with Jesus in the upper room. They were with Jesus when he walked to the garden. They were with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And we know that those 11 were the only disciples there with him, which meant one of those 11 had to be the other disciple. Y'all follow with me so, so far. In the book of John, John refers to other disciples, and every time he refers to other disciples, he gives them a name except for one of the disciples. He never issues his name. Do you know who that other disciple is? John. He doesn't name himself. He is always naming himself in different ways, the beloved disciple, the other disciple, etc. So I believe that this is John, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. Now, some would say, well, there's no way that John could be the, the other disciple. Well, why is that? Well, keep reading. That disciple, I would argue John, was an acquaintance of the high priest. He was known by the high priest. Now, that is what gets people all mixed up. How could a fisherman from Galilee be known to the high priest? How does that work? Now, bear with me for a minute. I'm going to give you a couple of options that scholars have tried to flesh out. We do not know for sure, but these are some interesting things. One group will say, well, uh, Zebedee, which was John's dad, he had servants and multiple boats, which meant that he was more than just a weekend fisherman, but he was a commercial fisherman with a major operation in Galilee, and so he would have delivered, potentially delivered fish from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, and he would have sent his son to do that if it was such a high-profile person as the high priest. And so John was the delivery boy that took fish into the high priest. I guess that would work. I'm not sure the high priest really deals with delivery boys. I feel like when the delivery trucks show up, they come around the back gate. I don't understand how the high priest would do that, but that could be. Here's another one, and this one gets a little, this is fun, okay? Now listen, I'm going to tell you about this. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord on this. You go study it, come up with it. I like this idea, though. Follow along. Later in the book of John, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The Bible says that there are four women next to the cross. You ready for those four women? One is Mary, his mother. One is Mary Magdalene. One is Mary, the wife of Clopas. 
And the fourth one is said to be Mary, Jesus' mother's sister. Okay? So we have those four names. Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Mary's sister. In Matthew and in Mark, we have uh, listed the women who were at the cross. It says there were many that were there, but these included these. And those that were included, it does not say Mary the mother of Jesus in Matthew and in Mark. But what it does say is that Mary Magdalene was there. It names Mary the mother of James the lesser and Joseph, who is referring to the wife of Clopas. And then it says Salome in the book of Mark. In the book of Matthew, it refers to Salome as the wife of Zebedee. If you take those and put all that together, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You've got Mary Magdalene. You've got Mary, the wife of Clopas, mother of James the Lesser. And you have a fourth one who is called the sister of Mary, the wife of Zebedee, Salome. Which means if Mary... And Salome were sisters. Jesus and John and James were cousins. Here's where it gets wilder. Are you ready? John the Baptist. His mother's name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth's husband's name was Y'all don't know that one as well. Zachariah, okay? An angel showed up, told them that they were going to have a baby, going to name him John. Where was Zechariah when he heard and met the angel? Inside the temple. Why was he inside the temple? He was a priest inside the temple. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, that her father was of the tribe of Judah because we have the genealogy going through Judah from her dad's side. However, in order to be related to a Levite who was in the family of the priests, through her mother's side, she had to be a what? A Levite, which means that her sister and their family would have been and connected to the priestly clan and one of the early church fathers, like 1st, 2nd century church fathers says that John the Apostle was a priest. If all that goes together, the reason the high priest knew him was because he was a priest and part of that organization. They say, man, you took a long time with that. I thought it was interesting and wanted to share with you that interesting thing. Where were we? Right here. Don't say it, Nick. Look there, verse 15 again. He was known to the high priest, regardless if that was the way or not, they knew him, so much so that he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So there's Jesus being carried in, and John was allowed to escort Jesus in to the courtyard. Verse 16, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. Why was that? High priest didn't know Peter. He didn't have access So the other disciple who did have access, the one known to the high priest, he went out and he spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And when he was coming in, that servant girl, the doorkeeper, uh, said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? If they're in South Louisiana, they said, you're one of this man's disciples. No. She was assuming and expecting a negative answer 
with this question. Now, notice she said, you aren't one of these disciples too. Why would she say too or also? The idea of also and too means that there was someone else that was recognized as a disciple of Christ. And she's saying, you're not also one of these disciples. Who would have been the person that she recognized as a disciple of Christ? John. She would have known John and known that he was a disciple of Jesus. And by those two pair being together, she assumed maybe he was, and she hoped that he wasn't, so she asked him this question. And notice how Peter answers it. He said, I am not. I am not. Jesus, when he speaks of his identity, he says in the Greek, ego emi, I am. Very stark contrast when we read this in the Greek. It says, uk emi. Not me. Aren't you the guy? Not me. Now, why would he do that? Well, I think the answer is in verse 18. Look at what it says. Now, the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was what? Cold. They were standing there warming themselves. And Peter was standing with them warming himself. Now, John has a tendency to talk about the environment, but do so on two levels. So he'll say it was nighttime, or it was dark, or it was cold. You remember when Nicodemus came in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came at night. And that showed both that it was nighttime, literally, yes, but it also showed that he was showing up undercover. He was showing up because he was confused. He was in darkness spiritually. It says that Judas left, and it was night, reflecting the, the condition of his soul. Now we have this detail that it was cold. Yes, I believe it was physically cold outside, but I believe we're also looking into the soul of Peter that it was cold. And he's standing there trying to warm himself. And if you were a casual observer and you didn't know what was going on and you walked into the courtyard and you looked into the courtyard during that time, uh, you would look and see all these people gathered around this charcoal fire trying to get warm, trying to stay warm. Uh, They all would have been around there and you would not have been able to tell that there was one in the group that was different than the rest. You would not have been able to look in there and say, yep, that guy sticks out. He didn't want that. He was trying to fit in and blend in with the crowd. And in his attempt to blend in, he ended up denying that he knew Christ. It gives us our first takeaway. If you're taking notes, here it is. A desire for concealment leads to denying Christ. A desire for concealment leads to denying Christ. I've not talked about this episode in my life very often. Uh, It should be a good one, but it's not. When I was a junior in high school, I was selected one of two. And this happens all in Texas. It may happen in Louisiana. I don't know. But a group will select two young men from every junior class to go to an event called uh, Boys State. Boys State was held in Austin. We lived in Texas at the time. And uh, the American Legion put it on. And all these guys from all over the state would come in. And they would stay there in the dorms. And they would learn about government and politics and how everything worked. they do a mock government and, and all those things. But it was a big deal to be one of those 
uh, selected to go to Boy State. So we were going into that, and there were all new people we'd never met before. Now, back home, I was known as the pastor's son. My dad was a pastor, and I was the pastor's son. And all the stigma that came with that. People think that the pastor's kids are the worst behaved kids in the world. And you know what? The only reason that a pastor's kid may be that bad is because they spend so much time with deacon's kids. (laughs) But I had a reputation of being the, the pastor's son, the pastor's kid. And I also had the reputation of being the Christian kid and the church kid. Um, you know, I, I didn't drink, I didn't party, I didn't carouse, I, I didn't do those things. I, I did the best I could to live with integrity, to honor the Lord and all that I did, but I had developed a reputation. And it was, it, frankly, it was lonely because when someone was, when a group was getting invited to spend the night at somebody's house and hang out, I didn't get invited because of that primarily. Uh, when there were parties going on, I didn't know about it. I didn't get invited. Uh, when, hey, let's go to whatever. Let's go to Sonic, get some drink after school. I wasn't a part of that. But because I was known as the follower of Christ, and I was known as the preacher's kid, and they knew I wasn't going to do that stuff anyway, so I just wasn't invited to do that. And it was very lonely. And when I went to Boy State, I thought in my 16-year-old brain that it would be good of me if I changed my reputation among these new people that I didn't know. I had been called to ministry and surrender ministry earlier that spring. And I went to Boys State with all of these boys from all over the state, great opportunity for the gospel. And instead of doing that, I decided uh, that I was just going to blend in. And so, in order to blend in, I found that I had to use language that uh, my mom would not approve of. I had to laugh at jokes that wouldn't be good. I had to act a certain way and put on a certain uh, demeanor. In fact, if you go to Boy State and say, hey, was James Pritchard a Christian, they would laugh at you. Because I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to conceal that faith. And here's what happened to me. By wanting to fit in with the crowd around me and by not wanting to stand out and potentially be lonely and standing out, I ended up denying my relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I thought would be fulfilling and exciting ended up, once I left, I ended up regretting it and mourning over it and repenting of it because I knew that I had denied Christ. But when you and I choose not to be different in the world around us, for whatever reason, we are guilty of the same thing. You go to work and you act like everybody at work. If you go to school and you talk like everybody at school and you do the things that they're all doing at school, uh, you, you go wherever and you're around the world and you just have a desire of concealment and to just blend in and to live like everybody else, you are guilty of denying your relationship with Christ. The Bible says you are the light of the world and it says let your light shine where? Before men. We are supposed to stick out. 
We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different in how we talk. We're supposed to be different in how we dress. I'm not saying we go back to the 1500s, okay? But what I'm saying is there's a difference. There's a way to dress that honors the Lord, and there's a way to dress that doesn't honor the Lord, okay? Uh, we, we should be different. And when we are not different and all we want to do is blend in, we are denying that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, what happens next? Well, let's keep reading. Because remember, he was going to deny Christ how many times? Three times. That's once. We're 30 minutes into this sermon, preacher. What are you going to do with the other two? I don't know. Y'all got nothing to do. Okay, here we go. Verse 19. The high priest, referring to Annas, questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. He wanted to know, how many disciples do you have? Who are your disciples? What are you teaching? Etc. Now, before we get too far, let me just do a little side note. Uh, notice uh, that John was not standing next to the fire with Peter and the others. Do you think he's just tougher and could tough out the cold? No, I don't think John was cold. Because I believe John was in the room when Annas was questioning Jesus. This is eyewitness account. It's the only gospel in which we see Annas included in this story. And so here's John. He's watching and he's questioning Jesus. And in verse 20, Jesus says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews gather. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Me in particular. Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. So here is Annas. He is questioning Jesus. He's trying to do it in an official way. However, in this day and age, in this, uh, in this judicial system, same as ours, y'all have heard of pleading the fifth? Y'all have heard of that? That's the Fifth Amendment, which says that you do not have to be a witness in defense of yourself if you don't want to. And so in this day, the defense did not have to serve as a witness. So judges did not ask the defendant specific questions. They would ask witnesses for the defendant those questions. Jesus is saying, this is out of order. There are plenty of people that can be witnesses for me and against me. Go ask those witnesses, bring them in because this is out of order. Notice what happens in verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? Imagine what that fellow's thinking now. I slapped the Son of God. I want to encourage you, if you ever have a chance to be around Jesus, do not slap him. Is this the way you answer a priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, give evidence about the wrong, but if rightly, why do you hit me? Well, there's no reply. Annas instead realizes I'm not going to win, sends him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Why to Caiaphas? Because he could convene the Sanhedrin. But notice, Jesus did not get slapped because he was wrong. He was slapped because he was right. There comes a time in every discussion in which the person who does not have an argument loses and they will resort either to name-calling or to violence, and that's what happened here. But the bottom line is Jesus was on trial, under attack, being persecuted, and what did he need above all? He needed a witness. And now the scene turns outside and we see the most vocal of his disciples standing in the courtyard. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter, 
was standing and warming himself. And they said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Same question, same verbiage. And he denied it and said, I am not, not me. Now notice something, and in the other gospels, we have this story in all four gospels. It's a big deal. And in the other ones, the the young lady asks him, and then it says the second denial, the young lady is not talking directly to him, but she actually is talking to the others. And so now they're standing around the fire. It started as speculation, but now it's become gossip. And now around that fire, they're all asking him, now aren't you? So now you've got a lot of people that are asking this question. Well, when the group starts growing and everybody's asking you and you're by yourself, what do you start doing? Slowly backing away, right? And so now he's feeling more pressure here because all this group, based on gossip, begins to come after him. But notice in verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, this is the phrase used to describe the temple police that came and arrested Jesus. This guy would have been in the garden and he said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? He was there, eyewitness. But not only that, it says that this, this man, this servant, was a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Now, uh, he was an eyewitness. He saw Peter there. He recognized Peter there. But not only that, Peter had cut off his relative's ear. Now, South Louisiana is known for family above all else. Would you agree with that? If somebody cuts off your family member's ear, you're going to have a problem. Agreed? Some of you are like, it depends on which family member, let's be honest. (laughs) But in general, you're going to have a problem. You're not going to like that person. They're not going to be your friend. And so now he is hearing, this guy has nailed me. In the other Gospels, it says, yeah, you're one of them because we recognize your accent is from Galilee. So it starts with speculation, then it goes to gossip, and now their accusations are built on empirical evidence. And we see the walls of the courtyard beginning to close in around Peter. So what does Peter do after this accusation? Verse 27, Peter denied it again. And we find in the other Gospels that it says that he denied it this time with shouting and with cursing and with oath-making. And he is trying to make his case that he is not a disciple of Christ. Three times before what? The rooster crows. Immediately a rooster crows. What was it that prompted him to deny Christ this time? It wasn't just concealment, but the second takeaway is this. A desire for comfort leads to denying Christ. A desire for comfort leads to denying Christ. Uh, I had the privilege of going to a Saints game a couple of years ago. They had a Thursday night game at home, Superdome, and they were playing against the Dallas Cowboys. And so I figured out a way, was able to go to the game. Thursday night, I can do Thursday night. I can't do Sunday at noon because I kind of have something I do on Sundays. But Thursday night, I could go. So we went to the game. And there's a group of guys that went. And we got to town early, and we ate supper at Mother's Restaurant. Y'all know about Mother's there? We know about that. Uh, Sandwiches that you eat. And you bring baby wipes with you to eat those sandwiches, all right? That's mothers. 
And so uh, ate there. And then we, I don't know how wise this was, we then walked from Mother's to the Superdome, relative evening time, with a Saints game going on. The closer we got, the more pungent the smell. The more crowded the streets, there were people everywhere. Many of them did not seem like they were 100% about their wits. Many of them seemed very rabid about their Saints fandom as I, a Dallas Cowboys fan, was walking down the street. I did not have any Saints apparel on. I also did not have any Cowboys apparel on. Because all it takes is one person who may not be 100% about themselves for things to go south, and I did not want to give them any reason to target me. And so I did not wear any Cowboys garb to that game. And by going to the game without Cowboys garb, and by the way, it was a great game. (laughs) And as great things were happening, when I cheered, I was not full-throated of a cheer. It was a little bit subdued. I know that you, I can do that. I know y'all don't know that, but I can. It's not loud all the time. Well, yeah, it is. just not as loud all the time. But I was a little subdued. And why was that? Because people can be crazy, and I did not want to cause a scene or get in a fight or whatever. And so I did not wear cowboys. Now, I did something different when I went to LSU game. We went to an LSU game, and I did not wear my cowboys garb. I did not wear my Aggies garb. When I went to the LSU game, I went ahead and I wore LSU garb. I went even further. Why is that? Because Baton Rouge is crazier than New Orleans. (laughs) Especially around that stadium. But the point being, I wanted to be comfortable and enjoy a game, and I didn't want problems, and so I concealed it, and I hid it. And the Bible says that if you want to follow Christ, you will be persecuted. Will is the word that he uses. It's a promise. You, you walk around with your Jesus garb on, the world is going to hate you because they hate Jesus, and you will be uncomfortable. But if you care more about your comfort than you do your Christ, then you won't wear your Jesus garb. You will try to blend in, and you will end up denying Christ because you want to be comfortable in your walk with Christ. You are more concerned with your comfort than you are his pleasure in your life. And so you just blend in. What happened after this? John doesn't tell us. But the other Gospels do. We're not sure exactly. Jesus may have been walking by when the rooster crowed. It may have been that Peter had a line of sight to Jesus inside the house and he could see him. We're not 100% sure exactly, but we do know this, that when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned his head and made eye contact with Peter. And everything that Jesus said about, you're going to deny me before the rooster crowed, all, that, that just came back. And Peter realized that in his strength, he had failed 
his Lord. Jesus needed a witness, and Peter failed to do so. And the Bible says that he fled the courtyard, weeping, broken over his failure. Listen, there may be many in this room that have I've been talking, you realize I've been denying my Lord. I've been denying him at home. I've been denying him at work. I've been denying him at school. I've been denying him on the ball field. I've been denying him in what other arena you may have because you've sought to just bleed into the crowd, blend in. You're not taking a stand for Jesus. You're just kind of going along with the flow. You want to stay concealed. You want to maintain your comfort, and so you've denied Christ. And here's what I'm telling you right now. Some of you spiritually have seen Jesus look back at you. You have heard the rooster crow today. And he's pointing that out in your life. Listen how seriously Jesus takes this idea of denial. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. You acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do you think he takes denial seriously? You better believe he does. When we live our life that way and we deny Christ, we're doing one of two things. Number one, we're either revealing that we are out of fellowship with him and we are relying upon our own power to stay faithful, or we are revealing that we've never come to know Jesus to begin with. We are called to go public with what we've done in private. A few examples, just real quick. How do we go public with that? The way we tell the world that we've got a relationship with Jesus Christ is by being baptized. I'm going to say this as gentle as I can, but it's true, okay? So hear the gentleness of my heart. If someone claims to have given their life to Jesus Christ, but refuses to go public with biblical baptism, they are denying that they know Jesus. Sometimes we deny them with our words. He needs a witness today, and by not witnessing and not sharing, we are denying that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? We're going to see what Peter did later. It's later in the book, and we're going to talk about that. But for right now, when we realize that we've sinned against God, what are we supposed to do, church? Confess and repent. There's a reason he said, you will be my witnesses, but wait for the Holy Spirit, because you can't do it on your own. So the Lord's called you. He's looked at you. You're hearing the rooster crow. Confess, repent, and trust him. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me? What has God pointed out in your life that's an area of denial? Would you take a moment right where you sit, in quietness of your heart and attitude of your soul, right where you are, would you lift up a prayer of confession and repentance to the Lord over that issue? right where you are, just beg his forgiveness. He'll give it to you. Call on him to empower you with his spirit so that you could be faithful.
Some in here, you're denying Christ publicly because you've never given your life to Jesus. You're going to stand before God one day, he's going to deny you before God if you've never given your life to Jesus. How about you give your life to Jesus today? Our Father, we surrender this time. Forgive us for denying you with our life, with our words, with our actions. I pray, Lord, that we would be humble enough to ask your forgiveness and to repent. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be faithful, that we might acknowledge you before men. And I pray, Lord, that we would please you in this way. We give this time to you to respond in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing together. You sing along. We've got some ministers and leaders here at the front. It may be that you'd like to pray with someone. There's something in your life. Maybe an area of your life where you've been denying him. It may have nothing to do with that. But come and pray. It may be that you're ready to give your life to Christ. You'd like to speak with someone about that. You come. Visit with one of these leaders. And we'll help you do that. It may be that it's time for you to go public with your private faith. And you need to get baptized. Come visit with one of these. But as we sing, we're here to serve and to encourage. But let's worship together and respond.